Lord, we've gathered tonight to celebrate your faithfulness. Lord, you've been so faithful this last year, and we thank you. And we want to just worship you in response. And Lord, we also have gathered tonight to be encouraged by who you are and the plans that you have for us this coming year. We know that they're great and glorious. Lord, I pray that you would lift our hearts and our minds and our voices to you as you reveal yourself to us this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. This is how the property at 4001 Osuna looked when Calvary Chapel first began to meet at this location. As you can see, a great deal has changed, and the work continues. Among the projects recently completed are a new kids' play area, along with a remodeled mini-chapel for Children's Church, and a new wave look for the whole department. Meanwhile, other recent changes to the Calvary campus are being put to good use. For example, the Calvary Skate Park has been successful both as a recreational area and as an outreach tool. Skating to respond to a salvation message might be unusual, but it worked at this M88 Radio Skate Day with the Circa Skate Team. Now, here's a quick review of some snapshots from 2003 at Calvary. Easter sunrise service at Lobo Stadium this year was the largest ever in New Mexico. Other events that enjoyed huge turnouts included the 4th of July baptism at the Beach Water Park, the annual M88 Labor Day concerts at Cliffs Amusement Park. Response to Operation Christmas Child resulted in collecting over 16,000 boxes this year and two sold-out showings of the premiere of Worldwide Pictures film Last Flight Out that took place in September. Other interesting areas of growth were an international audience via the web for Line Online, the midweek Bible study at Calvary, and a new transmitter for KNKT Radio, which resulted in a 20% growth in ratings, which moved KNKT up significantly in the Albuquerque radio rankings. At M88, new translators have been filed for El Paso, Texas, and the Taos, New Mexico area. New construction that is nearly complete will mean a new outside amphitheater a baptism fountain, 10,000-square-foot bookstore, cafe, and a greatly expanded foyer and entrance. <music> 2004 will begin at Calvary with international evangelism. Skip Isaac and a 50-person team will be in Belize on January 1st for a nationwide outreach that includes OCC boxes, leadership training, and three large-scale crusade events. So we will see what growth the Lord will bring in the coming year. Yes, yes. And I am looking forward to... Seeing what God's going to do in the coming year, aren't you? We're really looking forward to it. It's the Lord. Well, I want to introduce a special friend of mine. I was here a couple weeks ago, as many of you know, and he called me on his cell phone, and I was staying at the hotel, and he said, well, 
where does your window face? I said, I'm facing towards the mountains, and it's off, your, off Louisiana. He said, well, I'm driving a white Cherokee. Can you see me right now? And I could see him right there. I said, you're driving in front of Macaroni Grill. There you are. Now you're turning into Winrock Center. So I said, well, turn around and come to the hotel because I haven't seen him in quite a while. But it's just great to have him with us tonight to share. Uh, it's, it's kind of a last-minute thing, and I am just honored and blessed, as I know that you are as well, to have our good friend, Fernando Ortega. Your love for us that compels us and stirs us to love you back. We would not know what love was unless you had loved us with your everlasting love. And Lord, it is an everlasting love. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we want our lives to be defined and directed by your love. And so, Lord, we invite you to take further control of our lives as we seek to serve you, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Snuck out of there. The Greek god of Janus. That was the celebration of the new year. Janus was that Greek god of, of entry, of entrance. On many gates in the Roman Empire, you would see the, this two-faced, bearded god posted there on the entryway. He was also the god of beginnings. And this Greek god was celebrated, maybe weekly, the beginning of the week, the beginning of the month, especially the beginning of the year, perhaps you've seen uh, a picture of this God. Um, we get the month January from Janus. Looking at a picture of this God, you might wonder, well, could this two-faced, bearded God, could he chew and talk at the same time? Could he sing a duet by himself? If he was a hypocrite, does that mean he's four-faced? But we're not celebrating a God tonight. And this God symbolized looking back and looking forward at the same time. And it's good to reflect and see all that God has done. I've reflected a bit tonight. I've seen so many familiar faces. But we're not to dwell in the past, we're to live for the future, as the Apostle Paul said, that this one thing I do, it's one thing, is I'm leaving what is behind and I'm moving forward to what is ahead, that upward call in Christ Jesus. So tonight's a celebration, celebrating God's faithfulness, but it's also a looking to the future. I remember, we have, we're, there's going to be a lot of parades tomorrow in this nation, New Year's Day parades, and I remember... And my father took me to a parade, and just being a little guy, couldn't see see anything. The Iron Butterfly float, or or the uh, you know Milky Way float, or all these different floats going by, couldn't see a thing. So my dad would pick me up on his shoulders, and I could see everything. It was a whole different view. And I believe that what God wants to do for us 
is lift us up and give us a new view. That's what the scriptures do for us. The scriptures give us a new view in life, uh, the right perspective. And all my dad had to do for me so I could see everything is give me a little elevation. And that's what Paul does in this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. He gives us an elevation. He gives us altitude in life so that we can see clearly, so that we can see life with a view. It's always great to go high up in a skyscraper and you can see everything. You might be down in the middle of a, of a city, Manhattan perhaps. You go up to the top of the Empire State Building and you can see all the buildings, the tops of them. God wants to lift us up, give us a new view, give us elevation. And in Christ, we can live a life where we're not crushed by last year's stuff. And that's good news for me. We can live a life that's not crushed and burdened by last year's failures, last year's regrets, last year's struggles, last year's disappointments, for truly there are some of those in the year 2003. But God wants to lift us out. But we can live a life in this next year above all of those things once we gain a new view. Look with me in Ephesians 1. I just want to read a few verses tonight to focus us as we bring in the new year tonight. We read in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Or give us a view, the knowledge of Christ. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in saints. First of all, what changes our view? Well, we see here that we have, the, he wants to know, Paul is praying this prayer in Ephesians, and he wants us to know the hope of our calling. We are to cling to hope, cling to hope. Now, biblical hope is different from the word that it's slung, in, slung out in our society. A biblical hope is a hope that there's assurance. It's the Greek word elpis, which means confident expectation. It's the opposite of, I hope that works out. Or maybe tonight you'll, you're discussing with your friends, or maybe today you were talking with people, and they said, well, I hope next year's better. I hope things work out. That's not a biblical hope. A biblical hope is a confident expectation. It's going to happen, and our calling is filled with hope. We know that our hope is described by Paul in 1 Thessalonians, that it is a hope of, it's a patience of hope. Titus says that our hope is a blessed hope. Peter says that our hope is a living hope through his resurrection. And we're all familiar with that scripture, Jeremiah 29, that says, For God knows our thoughts. He knows my thoughts, your thoughts, and what he thinks towards us, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we know that the ultimate hope is the hope of heaven, which we're all going to heaven, and I can't wait. That's the ultimate hope that defines the life of the believer, no, bad, no matter how bad things get. We know that there's a place for us, and we're living for our home, which is heaven. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. 
You believe in me, believe also. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and he's going to prepare for me a killer house. That's my hope. It's better than anything that I can build on this planet, and God is building it for me, and he's waiting for me. It's an ultimate hope. It's an eternal hope, a heavenly hope. But I have found that many people live hopeless lives. One out of every five Americans are diagnosed with depression because there's no hope in their, their life. There's nothing to live for. It's, we go through hopeless times, things where hope seems dim. Even the psalmist said in Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? And then he says, Hope in God, which the psalmist is speaking to himself. Listen, soul, he's not schizophrenic, and so am I. He's counseling his own heart. Hope in God. Don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled. Remember hope. That's the prayer of Paul in Ephesians. Remember the hope of your calling. I pray that your eyes would be opened. The eyes of understanding would be enlightened to the hope of your calling. That's why it's important that we be careful this year. Not to surround ourselves with people who are so hopeless and let them speak into our life, that we become givers of hope, and we ourselves, that we're careful not to look at a scenario, a situation, look at the future and say, it's hopeless. Do you remember Job? Job was the most righteous man in the land, and everything was taken from him. All of his livestock, all of his lands, his property, all of his children were killed, all of his servants were taken from him. Everything in his life was taken. He was laying there paralyzed, with boils all over his body. Everything he had, everything he owned, everything was taken from him except for his wife. And she came to him, Hubby, it's hopeless. She said, Curse God and die. This is all God's fault. Curse him and die. When we cling to hope, when we promote hope, when we advertise hope in our countenance and in our speech and in our encouraging words, we are clinging to, we are promoting, we are advertising God because God is a God of hope. And where God is, there is always hope. And there's no reason to be hopeless. Life with a view. First of all, cling to hope. Secondly, we see in verse 18 here that we are to count on his riches. The riches of his glory. The riches of his glory of his inheritance. Of his inheritance that is in the saints. We live life not based on our own riches. Thank the Lord. We live life based on his riches. They're not our, they're his riches that he has deposited into our account. The resources for living, the strength, the energy, the answers, the direction, the means of life are all found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can count on his riches. We can count on his resources. God calls himself the one who 
is everything to us. The name Jehovah uh, means uh, he is the becoming one, the self-existent one. He said to uh, Moses, he said, I am. He's, Moses said, who do I say sent me? He said, I am has sent you. And that is my God, your God. He is the I am. So we can fill in the blank when we are struggling, when we lack direction, when we don't know what to do, where to go. When we're facing the year 2004, God says, I am, and then there's a blank, blank right there that we can fill in. That's the type of God he is. Count on my riches. Count on my resources. In Ephesians, we see this word riches used five times. Referring to the riches of his grace, the unsearchable riches in Christ. And they're unlike anything else that we can discover or work for in this world. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, in that hall of faith, when the writer of Hebrews addresses Moses, and Moses was one esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Even his suffering for the Lord. It was, was far, was greater in riches than all the treasures of the world and all the treasures that the world had to offer. What are riches? Simply this, God's benefits running your life. God's benefits running your life. Are you tired of running your own life? It's hard. And a lot of people spend their life just getting everything in order. I'm going to work hard and see, you know, get my little nest egg here and get that in this house and pull it all together. And there's so much to worry about and there's so much to take care of. And let God's riches run your life. It's far better. And it gives life the right view, the right perspective. He plants his riches in us, notice. The riches in the saints to the glory of his inheritance. We are his treasure. He takes his riches, his resources, he plants them in me. I'm God's treasure chest. And it's great to know that God sees you that way. You're his treasure. You're that pearl of great price. Remember that parable? The kingdom of God is like a pearl, and the traveler comes, the merchant from a far-off land. You're that pearl. You're that pearl that the traveler went and sold everything that he had to obtain that one thing, and that's exactly what God has done for you. He gave everything, even his own life, because you are so precious to him. You're of great riches to him, and he's planted his riches in you. You are a portrait of his grace. We know this in Ephesians as well, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You're God's picture. You're his work of art that he displays displaying his riches, displaying his resources and what he can do in someone's life. So good to know that God sees me not in terms of the past, but in terms of the future. God looks at me in terms of my potential. That's how God looks at me. I don't know what kind of year you had, but God takes that stuff and he says, I've got a new plan for you. I've got a year that's amazing for you. Would you step into it? Would you walk into it? Remember Gideon? He was just a farmer back in Judges. He was just farming, and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Oh, mighty man of valor. He looked around, huh? Who's here? Mighty man of valor. I'm just a farmer. 
No, God saw Gideon as this warrior, as this leader. He saw him in terms of his future, not his past, in terms of his potential. That's how God looks at me. Remember Peter? When Peter was the first one who acknowledged who Jesus Christ was, he said, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's absolutely right. And upon the rock of this truth that you have spoken, I will build my church. Your name will no longer be Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, Peter, but your name will be Cephas, which means rock, solid rock. And Peter was everything but solid. He was shifty. But Jesus referred to him someday. And that's how God looks at me. That's how God looks at you. And he has planted his riches in us. Then we read, that we are to concede to his power. Concede to his power. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? How to live life with a view? Concede to his power. His power that works within us, it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We read in Romans 8:11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. Imagine that. The same power that raised Christ from the grave, moved away the stone, lives in you if you're in Christ. If you've lived, given your life to Christ. That's incredible. And we are to concede to his power. We are to surrender to his power. Three responses to his power, the power of the Holy Spirit who works in his life. We know that Jesus said in Luke 11, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open to him. Jesus said, if you ask your earthly fathers for bread, is he going to give you a stone? If you ask him for a fish, is he going to give you a serpent? If you ask him for an egg, is he going to give you a scorpion? Absolutely not. And if then, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how do we concede to his power? First of all, we just need to pray and ask, God, I need more of your power in the year 2004. I need more of you in my life. We pray, we ask, and God responds to our prayer. Then we need to simply, number two, receive. Okay, Lord, I receive the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, I want to be dominated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit but once we've prayed, once we've received, it's important that we yield to the Spirit. That we yield to the working of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to concede to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, how to live life with a view? Connect with Jesus. We cling to hope. We count on his riches. We concede to his power. And then we need to connect with Jesus and have a daily connection with him. In verse 20, which he worked in us when he raised Christ from the dead, speaking of his power, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ, and we're connected to the head. My head is the central nervous system. It's what runs my whole body, all of my muscles, all of my organs. I can't survive without my head. It's the command center. And that is why we are to stay connected to him as the body of Christ. This year, it would be a tragedy if your feet decided it's going to go do its own thing. You know what? I'm tired of going down this road. I'm going to do my own thing this year. They wouldn't get very far, your feet would, without the head. Nor would any part of your body get very far, accomplish anything apart from the head, and we are to stay connected to the body of Christ. I've never seen a headless body walking down the street. It doesn't happen. It might happen tonight at the club down the street at about midnight, but it's not going to happen here because we're connected to the body. Very simply, we can live life with a view. We can get up on the Father's shoulders and go through this year, go through this life, because we have been given, oh, such a great salvation. Amen. And it's so wonderful to hear what God says about us and what God says that he is going to do for us and what God has in store for us. We cling to hope. We count on his riches. We concede to his power and we stay connected to him. We stay connected. And maybe you're here tonight and you have never been a part of a relationship like that with God. A lot of people have different types of relationships with God. But the type of relationship God wants to have with you is one where you wake up each morning and you know exactly who's in control of your future. And you know exactly who has dealt with your past. That's what it means to be in Christ. Is that you have laid yourself completely upon him. Past, present, and future. You know, people say, that Christian stuff, it's just your crutch, right, Pete? It's more than my crutch. He's my whole stretcher. I lay myself upon him, my life. And he's taken the sins of my past, the mistakes of my past, and he has covered it. He has cast it as far as the east is from the west. And he has given me a future to look forward to. But this life, this abundant life, only comes when we stop living life for ourselves. Stop living life by our own rules, in our own way. And we realize that we need to be forgiven. We can't work our way towards heaven. And then we put our faith in the only solution for our life. The only solution for our future and that is the fact that 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to die for you, and to pay the penalty for sins that plague our past and hold judgment and wrath for us in the future. Jesus took my sin and he paid for it. And he says, now put your faith in 
what I've done. Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you never have, the invitation is clear. And we pray tonight that you, this New Year's Eve, it would be a real New Year's Eve. It would be a new year, a new life. And you'd start over, start again. Let's pray. Father, we are so reveling in, Lord, this scripture, this prayer of Paul that shows us our true identity in Christ. So, Lord, I want to pray for those who are discouraged with the past, that you'd lift them up, that you'd put them on your shoulders and encourage them. Lord, I want to pray for those who are fearful of the future, that you would lift them up and that you would carry them and that you would, Lord, renew their perspective as they just meditate on you and think about you. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are alienated from you. They're alienated from hope. They're alienated from your riches. They're trying to live life in their own strength, with their own resources. Lord, I pray tonight, at this even at this very moment as you're speaking to them, that they would respond to your great grace, to your amazing invitation that says, Come to me, those of you who are weary, you're heavy laden. will give them rest, rest for their souls, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, we all together rejoice with that. We pray this in Jesus' name.